When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and we are officially in the NCAA basketball season. Action tipped off on Tuesday. Super excited to be back at it and having live basketball to watch. To join me today to talk about that and much more, I have Jacob Mox from our Her Hoop Stats team. He's our Becky Hammond Mid-Major Player of the Year Award coordinator and mid-major expert. Hey, Jacob, how's it going? I'm great. How are you, Megan? Doing good. Excited that we finally got the season underway last night. We're recording this on Wednesday, so we're coming off the first day of the season, so really excited about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that there's not too many games tonight. Um, some good mid-major games tonight, but definitely not as packed as last night. I can kind of refresh a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there's a little bit of a lull in the middle of the week here. There's some big games starting again on Friday and this weekend, but I think a lot of even like the top 25 games that are on the next few days are kind of against lower tier opponents and less less exciting things than last night's huge game. Yep. Of course, they can always get exciting. You never know. But <laughs> yeah, I figured we need to start off with South Carolina versus NC State, that big top five game from last night that we started off the season with. Before we dive into that, honestly, I'm it's great that we started off with a top five game, but I also am curious why this isn't a thing we do every season. I think like the men's game, you know, they always have the champions classic, same teams, it's always top tier opponents. First night of the season at MSG, the women's game should be doing something similar. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. It's great to get that like marquee matchup to get everyone really going. So you don't have you don't have a hundred like uh, like South Carolina versus like New Hampshire type games or something like that. Um, so yeah, it was great to see that. And especially um, one thing that I did notice that I really appreciated was that at halftime of the game, or maybe it was even during like a coming out of commercial, they went to the they went to MSG and they had two men's anchors and then they had Carolyn Peck and they just basically like sat there and they were just like, I don't know the right way to put it. They were eager to hear what Carolyn Peck had to say about the game. And they just kind of let her cook and kind of cover the game from that angle. And I think that that synergy is not something that we've seen too much. Um, And it's a really good way to really have each each half kind of build off of each other in that way. It was good to see that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that was really nice to see. I wish they had spent the whole halftime show on women's basketball, but I guess we'll take what we can get for now. It was a little bit of a bummer when they switched over to covering the men's game. I get that they are the marquee event of opening night. I just wish that like during the women's game, let's at least focus on the women. Um, <laughs> but it is what it is. But yeah, I think it was really great to see that we started off with that. I would love to see the women's game though go to something like the Champions Classic. I don't know, throw... South Carolina, Stanford, UConn, Baylor, or something like that in it every year to start off the season. Those are all teams that are pretty much perennially good at this point. Like, throw those four teams into some kind of little tournament for the opening day. I think that would be great for the sport. Or even if you do it, like, don't do it Tuesday night because then you're up against the men's, do it Wednesday night. Like, I think that would be great. And I guess, like, even already they – pretty early on in the season, they have the preseason WNIT kind of round robin or tournament or however that's formatted. It seems like it would be pretty easy to do a similar situation with the, with the like upper echelon of the women's teams and build in like a kind of a quasi turn, not, not a tournament, not a round robin, just like have matchups that are set based on maybe their rematches of great games from the previous tournament or like you said or maybe it's just you keep the blue bloods in like a kind of like a revolving series year over year something like that would be great to see yeah great so hopefully we'll see something like that in the future hopefully someone listening to this actually has the power to do something about it i can just complain about it but anyway But yeah, diving into that matchup from last night, we got a pretty good game. It got really close there for a while in the third and fourth quarter. Um, I didn't necessarily expect that to happen, but it it did end up being a pretty close game until the end. Yeah, there were definitely, there were multiple times where in my head I was thinking like South Carolina has all the momentum here. Like there's no possible way NC State's going to come back. And then they hit clutch shots and Reina Perez would who I'll just throw out. She's a former Hammond Award watchlister before transferring to NC State, so I'm a big fan of hers. But just opening up the game for them and the crowd was, like, electric. Even when they're, like, hitting, like, shots and they're down 10, 12 in that range, like, they were just as fired up as they were right off the tip, which was uh, nice to have fans back on national televised games. Seriously, I don't think we can, like, understate that enough. It's so nice to have fans back in the arena and even on TV to have that in the background. I feel like that it was, like, took a while to get used to last year that it was just, like, dead silence in the arena while you're watching. You can basically, like, hear what the coaches are saying. That part was a little fun, but I'm 
very glad to have fans back in the arena. But yeah, Reyna Perez played out of her mind. She was so good. 18 points on like 7 of 9 shooting. Just a great game for her. Um, she's really what I feel like kept NC State in it for most of the game, especially at the beginning. They really couldn't buy a bucket other than from her, but she was able to kind of get going and keep them in it for almost the whole game. Yeah, and on the other side with South Carolina, um, I continue to just always be impressed with Aaliyah Boston, what she's able to do, and she like she did it from jump as like her, I believe it was her debut game. She had a triple double with blocks, yeah. which is ridiculous. I think I think no one's ever had a had a triple double in their debut game, and very few triple doubles ever have happened. Or not very few, but relatively few triple doubles ever have happened with blocks. So for both of those to combine at one time and she just kind of keeps that level up. Even when she didn't score a whole bunch, but she affected the game in a really strong way. She had five blocks, and that's NC State coming in knowing that she's a shot-blocking presence, and she's still able to get that, which means that even with them trying to avoid her, she managed to rack up five blocks, which is really impressive. Yeah, exactly. I thought defensively she was just insane last night when she was on the floor. They really, um, NC State really couldn't get going anything in the paint. Eliza Kinane had a lot of trouble with kind of finishing anything around Boston. Only Boston was fantastic defensively last night. Offensively, I think she like didn't get that many touches in where she needs to get touches to score. She had eight points, quiet night for her in terms of scoring. I mean, she obviously still had a huge impact all over the floor, but I still would like to see her get more touches like in the low post. I think that's something they still missed last night. I don't know. I felt like at times South Carolina struggled with that. Last season, they don't necessarily get her enough touches inside, and I felt like that still kind of happened last night. Obviously, I mean, Zia Cook and Destiny Henderson played excellent last night, and uh, South Carolina didn't need her to score more to win the game, but I think there will be games this season where they need more from her. Yeah, and just I've definitely noticed that they have a tendency to kind of ha- they have a knack for knowing when, when like a bruising kind of low-scoring game is called for. Um, I'm thinking back to last year. I want to say it was even against South Dakota where it was an incredibly low scoring game, but they did that for the sake of controlling the game and not letting it get away from them. They're not going to go flying up and down the court when it's not the best decision for uh, Don Staley's team. So. Yeah, agreed. I think they did that really well last night. I also just thought that Zach Cook played so well. I think that's, maybe the best some of the best basketball we've seen that I could play I thought she took smart shots she drove to the basket a lot she was aggressive she shot well from the floor I was really impressed with her play last night I think she was a player last year that sometimes I felt like she maybe didn't pick the best shots at times but I don't think we saw that at all in the game last night definitely I think yeah the one thing that I did kind of so I yeah, so with South Carolina's offense just kind of being down a little bit, and like I said before, that is kind of like they're playing to what the game needs to be for them to win. But the one thing that did concern me is that they had 14 turnovers and only nine assists. Um, it's that like that assist rate, nine out of 25 made baskets, is incredibly low. Um, for reference, I want to say like elite teams are typically at like 70%, and that's hanging around like, 30% just by doing some mental math. And I think that, uh, I think that that's going to need to improve pretty significantly. Um, you can't, uh, 
can't score that high a percentage of your baskets in ISO and win against elite teams can like every time out. So. Yeah, that was something I noticed too. I felt like they were playing a lot of one-on-one basketball and it worked last night. It's not like you said, it's not necessarily going to work. I think, I mean, they have UConn and Stanford on their regular season schedule. UConn likely as soon as like two weeks from now. And I think something like that is going to be a lot tougher to do against one of those two teams. Yeah, like if you if you remove Destiny Henderson from the box score, so she had five assists and only two turnovers. You remove, remove her, and that is a a one to three assist to turnover ratio for the rest of the team. So everyone else has got to kind of step up, protect the ball there, and play kind of fluid team basketball. Agreed. I will say the turnovers got better. I wonder how much of the turnovers was just it being like the first game out, people being nervous, little not used to the fans in the arena. Yeah, I was gonna like say that. jumpy, jumpy in front of the in front of the home crowd. So yeah, because a lot of the I think maybe at least twelve of those turnovers were in the first half or something like that. They were a lot of them were very early on. I think at halftime they twelve. So they definitely cleaned that up in the second half. So that is good to see. I think had what they did in the first half continued into the second half with turnovers, I would have been like, this might be a problem for South Carolina this season. I'm less concerned considering that they kind of cleaned that up in the second half. Definitely. And then from NC State's perspective, I mean, I think not a bad game for them at all. They're without their ACC six woman of the year from last year losing this game to the South Carolina team by under 10 points, I don't think is necessarily a bad way to start the season for them, considering the amount of depth on the South Carolina team. I think we saw that a lot last night where South Carolina could just kind of rotate players in and out and NC State didn't quite have the depth to match that, which was part of it. And then Oiza Kinane didn't have a great game. Of course, Aliyah Boston is part of that, but I just think like she she's coming off an All-American season, she's probably going to be an All-American again. It was probably just an off night for her. I think, you know, had she had a better night, this game would have been really down to the wire. And and on a similar note, Diamond Johnson, 2 of 12, including 0 of 6 from 3. Like, you wouldn't expect that to just happen on any given night. So the fact that both of them really struggled shooting um, is very fluky. And, like, if even one of them has, like, a – pretty good game it's it's uh it's a much different game late so exactly yeah so I think not at all a bad start for either team really I think I mean South Carolina I thought they looked more dominant in that fourth quarter the first three quarters were definitely closer and like I said like NC State was able to hang around which good for NC State it just wasn't something I expected I think the amount of talent on the South Carolina team I expected it to be a little bit bigger margin but I think we saw that South Carolina team more in the fourth quarter and I think that's going to be they probably just need a little bit to gel there are a fair amount of new pieces and things there so I still think they're they look really good to start off and then for NC State to only lose by nine especially when you are missing a key piece really good as well yeah definitely agree there all right. Well, covered the major game from last night. We're going to switch over to talking about the season's watch list for the Becky Hammond Award for the best mid-major player. As we get there, I'm going to start out with a sh- shout-out to Macy Williams from IUPUI. They forced overtime with Michigan yesterday, and she had crazy stat lines, 17 points, 
seven rebounds, three assists, four steals, and two blocks. So a huge part of how our team almost pulled off that first night upset. They didn't quite get there. They lost by a handful of points to, to Michigan in overtime, but a really strong first game from her and from their team. Yeah. Uh, Macy Williams, she's really kind of flown under the radar in terms of the conversation among like the the larger mid-major conversation. Um she can really, she can really fill up the stat sheet. Um, yeah, she's she's one of the few players. I don't remember if she was ever on the watch list in the very first year in 2019-20, um, but she's been on the watch list now for two straight years at least. And not many players kind of have that staying power. Either they, either they were kind of misjudgments on our part in terms of putting the list together, or they graduate because there are a lot of seniors on these lists. So it's interesting to see her stick around and hopefully that game and kind of giving Michigan a run for their money um, gets a little bit more national recognition. For sure. Yeah. I think it's a team that people are going to be circling a little bit more and paying attention to when they play a top 25 or a, a power five team. I think this season after seeing them give Michigan a hard time, especially when Michigan's a team that I expect to be pretty good this year, people are pretty high in the big 10. Yeah, and honestly, speaking of players that played really well yesterday against Power 5 schools, uh, Kiki Jefferson of James Madison, she had 31 points and 11 rebounds uh, yesterday against Virginia. Really, really strong performance. Um, She's also on the watch list this year. She's one of the players that kind of barely missed the cut last year in our consideration for the preseason list, and then she kept performing so well and just, like, she was like one of the last people off like every list as it trimmed down. So kind of starting fresh this year, she was like a definite uh, player on the list. And it's good to see her showing out against power five school last night. Yeah, definitely good to see that. Like, we'll probably see some more of that this week too. A lot of these teams are going to be in action over the next week or two against power five school. So it'll be exciting to see kind of who can really step up and maybe even help their teams kind of try to get a win or at least come close to the upset. Definitely. And before we're off the topic of against uh, against Power 5, um, also shout out to Akilah Smith of Longwood. Um, playing against Maryland, uh, Longwood really frustrated Maryland for a good part of that game. Um, it wasn't exactly a close game, but they, as uh, I think Derek on our team mentioned, they, they showed the blueprint of how to beat Maryland, and that's to kind of frustrate them defensively. And really, Akilah Smith... Only at eight points, only at seven rebounds, but but five blocks and a steal kind of showing her presence inside against high major schools that are typically they're gonna be more they're gonna have more physical prowess. So like to see five blocks coming against first game of the year, um, kind of putting her name on the map a little bit too, and maybe maybe inspiring some some challengers against Maryland in the future to try and go after that same blueprint. For sure. And I think an interesting thing from that game too is I mean she only had eight points as kind of one of their better players but Longwood put up 67 on Maryland that's a lot of points so. yeah for a team that for a team that doesn't really have too much like national talk in terms of like even amongst the mid-majors Longwood uh definitely kind of like I said it was a 30-point game by the end of the game but they definitely people should be paying attention to how that game went and what that might mean for Maryland going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, I've always had a little bit of questions about their defense, and it just reaffirmed that I still have questions about their defense. I'm interested to see they're playing Villanova on, I believe, Friday, which isn't exactly a mid-major game because the Big East isn't a mid-major, but Maddie Seacrest is one of the kind of more underrated players, I think, in the country. She's a really good player out of the Big East, and I'm interested to see what she can put up against Maryland because I think... She's a really strong player, a player that's actually gotten some national attention this year on some of the um, wooden watch lists, I think, and a couple others. So it'll be interesting to see what she does against them on Friday. So if you yeah. don't have that game circle, that's one to circle, I think. Yeah, for sure. All right, back to the mid-majors. So one thing I noticed going through the list is there's three teams that have two players on the list. I think they're kind of your... Well, at least two of them are definitely your usual mid-major suspects in Missouri State and South Dakota. But I actually wanted to start with Florida, Florida Gulf Coast University because obviously we saw Kirsten Bell was fantastic last year. Really, really just – I think she was top five or so in win chairs of all college basketball, just really one of the best players in the sport last year. And then they also add to the list – TK Morehouse as well. So now they've got two players on the list. So I feel like Florida Gulf Coast is a team that people need to be paying attention to this year. Yeah, they they return kind of the main key pieces, obviously, in those two players. Um, I They played yesterday. It wasn't against the D1 school, so I wasn't watching too closely. But they their reigning threes kind of mantra is super fun to watch. Um, it's a really, like, if you've got a shot, take it. It's a really fun offense to watch. Um, and it's the kind of offense that if they click at the right time, they can hang with like some good power five schools, not just any power five schools. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see them ranked and ranked. Like, I don't know. They might climb up to like the top, like 15, 20 in that range. I could definitely see that happening this year because Bell did what she did last year, 10 plus win shares. And she did it as a sophomore, which is incredible. So she obviously is the reigning Hammond Award winner, and it's kind of hers to lose it this season because, yeah, because of the five finalists last season, two of them graduated, so only three are returning. Um, and, yeah, definitely, definitely hers to lose. But, yeah. And, and you mentioned actually TK Morehouse. Um and actually, I don't want to use the wrong name. I know that she, I think, might be going by Tishara now. I'm not entirely sure. I know that that was a recent change from what I could tell. Or maybe she just, maybe it's always been that way and they just updated on the roster. But anyways, she is like one of the most underrated players and one of my favorite players in the mid-major ranks. She's a five foot three guard. Um, since 2009-2010 season, nobody, and like absolutely nobody who is five foot six or shorter has shot better than her on two-pointers on 200 more attempts. And just for some reference, numbers three and five on that list are both shape heady. So she's among some elite company. Um, truly amazing to watch her play. Um especially as a short person myself, it's nice to see someone even shorter than myself going out and dominating. (laughs) 
for sure. Yeah, I feel like they're going to be a really interesting team to watch. I agree that they could find their way into the top 25 at some point this season. I would not be surprised to see that happen at all. Um, and we're going to get to it later, but they have an interesting game coming up this weekend as well. So, Yeah. Alrighty. The other schools, so yeah, I mean, Missouri State, I feel like no surprise to see they have two players on here, but they also have two players, another team out of the MB, I mean, the MB, we could talk about the MBC all day, they're just such a deep league, but in general, I think just like a, a team that, I don't think they're currently ranked, but another team I would expect to be ranked at some point this season. Yep, definitely. So I'm going to pull out one stat that I found actually when we were working on our, uh, on our season previews for the Missouri Valley Conference website. And this, I like, the stat confused me at first and then I figured it out. Her block rate has actually <laughs> declined since her freshman year. I was like, that has to be a mistake. She's just getting better. But after thinking about it, it's because teams know that she's so agile and she's so, she has such a high like basketball IQ and just innate sense of rim protection that teams. <laughs> have decided not to shoot around her. And as a result, she sh- she's blocking less shots. Um, and actually, let me... I'll, I'll pull up the stat later, but I want to say uh, teams are shooting like 7.7 percentage points lower on two-point attempts when she's on the floor versus when she's not. So her <laughs> presence is like truly like the intangibles and the unmeasurables. And then she also has the measurables, which is just, obviously, that's all you can hope for, so. Yeah, that's a crazy stat. <laughs> One of those things, too, that, like, I feel like a lot of people overlook because it's it's not, like, the first stat you look at, but it's, it's a really insane stat. <laughs> yeah, like, on paper, it just looks like she's just not blocking the shots anymore, but it's because there are no more shots to block when no one wants to shoot near you, so. <laughs> yeah. You can alter the game without even, like, doing anything. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, they talk about, like, in football, the best cornerbacks are the cornerbacks that don't even get thrown to. So, like, they're not going to be the cornerbacks that have the most interceptions. So it's kind of that same principle. Exactly. Yeah. And then also on Missouri State, uh, Bryce Caleb. Um, Bryce, I believe she's a sixth-year senior. She's a super-duper senior for Missouri State. Also, Missouri State is incredibly deep. I want to say they have a sixth year, two fifth years, four standard seniors, and then a whole bunch of other players that have Sweet 16 experience. So um, their their experience is just unmatched. Um, But anyways, so back to Caleb. Um, She's really kind of the heart of the offense. She runs such a controlled um, facilitation role, and she's scoring better. Or she's she's a scorer and head coach – Amaka Agulwa has said that she's, in addition to her 13.6 points per game last year, she's also adding to her three-point shot and adding to her free throw shooting. And like that just makes a really dangerous score, especially when paired with a really strong um, front court to kind of give those easy buckets to and kind of rack up her assists. So. For sure. And then, yeah, when we look around like the MVC as well, you've also got Gabby Hack from Bradley on here, and we've got Grace Berg from Drake as well. So just a whole bunch of MVC talent on here, which no surprise. I mean, pretty consistently one of if not the best mid-major country or mid-major conferences in the country. So 
don't yeah, know. I mean, Gabby Hack, um, obviously she's kind of a star returning player for Bradley, who uh, made it as the NBC's auto bid last year to the NCAA tournament with uh, Laisha Petrie uh, transferring out. But that just gives more room for Hack to kind of flesh out a more dominant role in the offense. Um, and that's, again, saying something considering she was already averaging almost 17 points per game. So, uh, I mean, Bradley, they, they do lose Petrie, but that doesn't mean that they're without a star player. And then for Drake, um, Graceburg has been a really valuable transfer from Missouri after sitting out the 2019-20 season and then um, getting her first uh, action in Des Moines in last season. Um, she's been a really efficient player, one of like four or five Valley players with over five win shares last year, which again speaks to the depth of the conference. Um, yeah, I mean, Drake doesn't have kind of the core that kind of rose them to prominence, but they're continuing to churn out like new cores after new core after new core and really keeping that, uh, keeping that level high. So. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we say this every year, but like if people are not following the NBC, you should be following the NBC. It's a multi-bit conference for sure. Yeah. I mean, the top three or four are all like in like in a range where it wouldn't be shocking if they were even at large bids, but from Missouri state to Drake, to you and I, to Bradley, like any of those teams could win the conference tournament or could get an at large bid um, because they're scheduling tough non-conference schedules and they're really kind of, they're leaning into their role as a team, as a conference that doesn't shy away from those big games. Um, they go after those high major, those elite high major opponents. So, Yeah, great. Even the bottom half of the conference, SIU is playing at Tennessee to start off their season. A lot of tough power five games that these teams are scheduling to start off their years. Absolutely. Yeah. And Kind of, that might make a good pivot to the other conference that has not shied away from scheduling those high major games, and that's the Summit, specifically South Dakota. Numbers, so she, I feel like she gets overlooked a lot because of that, because people so often just focus on scoring and things like. It's pretty common for them to get into those, uh, um, into those uh, like Thanksgiving tournaments that have teams like UConn and South Carolina and those like those blue blood programs, and then South Dakota who. <laughs> gave Oregon such a scare like three years ago that Kelly Graves said that he'd never play in Brookings again if he had a, if he had the choice because he didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to risk it against that like amazing home crowd out there at South Dakota State so they especially those two teams they know they know that they can hang with the with those elite programs and they don't shy away from it so agreed another set of teams that are like could be ranked at some point this season going to hang around and give some of these high major games that they have scheduled a tough time and I think you know also kind of teams that when you come to March you're like circling in your bracket as like yeah this could be a team that's going to pull off an upset yeah it, it, it always amazes me when like when like a South Dakota level team or a I guess Missouri State kind of is getting that national recognition after the Sweet 16s they're they're forcing everyone to give them the recognition they deserve but like a team like South Dakota, where they could be, they could be like in the Haroop stats rating, like one of the top like twenty teams in the country, and they just somehow are still giving them like an eleven seat and stuff like that. Where 
it it obviously it makes it harder for them to pull off those upsets because they're under seeds and they're playing even better teams. But like even then, like you said, they're they're always teams to keep an eye out for. Um, South Dakota, South Dakota State, um, Belmont. I guess not Gonzaga so much anymore, but they were there for the last couple of years. Stephen F. Austin. Really, there's just a long, long list. I haven't even touched on South Florida, and that's because they're like so deep in terms of how they're, they're so evenly spread out in their talent that like no single player stands out too much. But as a like a cohesive unit, they're a really, really strong team. Um, I mean, kind of going back to I was listening to you and Calvin and Jen. Um, talking about South Carolina, it's a similar situation. Like they're so like the talent is so evenly distributed that it might be hard in some cases for like a single player to like shine through and really get all the recognition. Cause it's just top to bottom deep. Yeah. I mean, Jose Fernandez always has a good team down there and they're actually one that has finally gotten some national recognition. They are ranked in the preseason, which is nice to see. It's not fully power five that we, Yep, they uh, they might be. I don't know how I'd. They might be sort of like still riding the wave of having been in the same conference as UConn, and I think, I think that like that kind of, I guess you call it like a shockwave is gonna like persist, and like teams like Cincinnati are gonna be able to recruit a little bit better. Um, and yeah, like we we had to make the decision once UConn left. Uh, the other uh, while back that like were we even going to consider the AAC mid-major or were we going to have like a buffer period or how is that going to work but we have included them so far so yeah I mean I think that makes sense I mean, they've kind of fallen into that category without UConn it's kind of like the Big East probably did it in a way before and then... yeah like Big East I think I think Big East gets like the historical recognition right. to be like the power five plus one type of thing but yeah Agreed, but it's not the old Big East anymore, sadly. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Any UConn fan, I think we'll all, we all miss the days of the old Big East. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other players that we didn't hit on that you want to make sure we highlight? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'll just I'll go down the list and call out some of the stat lines that we saw yesterday. Um, Jasmine Dickey against uh, Chestnut Hill. I believe they're not a D1 school, um, Chestnut Hill. But she put up 25 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, two steals. Pretty good. She's uh, kind of a 25-point-per-game scorer that's kind of flown under the radar at Delaware, who obviously has a good history of strong mm-hmm. mid-major players, obviously with uh, Elena Deladon being the shining example of that. Um, who else? Uh, yeah, Hannah Shervin for South Dakota, and actually Chloe Lamb also of South Dakota. They put up 18 points apiece, but uh, Hannah also added 13 rebounds, three assists, and six blocks against Oklahoma um, against against a former mid-major coach and first-time Power 5 coach, uh, Jenny Baranchek, the former Drake head coach now at Oklahoma. Um, that was a really good game. That was close, real late. That was fun to watch. Um, yeah, uh, Stephanie Vischer of Stephen F. Austin, um, kind of her her usual stat line, 15 points, four rebounds, four assists, two steals, one block, just real even and spread out and probably affected the game even more, just uh, even with... Agreed. 
13 points, 12 rebounds, six blocks. I mean, really the point is a lot of these games are against power five or like near power five town schools. Like just because they're out of power or just because they're in a, like a, a mid-major. Already blocked my calendar. I was like, continue to highlight these teams and like, if you're not like paying attention, paying attention to them, that's like only hurting you because you're missing, you're missing so much good basketball. If you're, if you're cutting yourself off to 27 of the of the 32 conferences in the country, and you're missing out on like, whatever that is, 75 <laughs> or 80 percent of the games in the country, um, you're really missing out. So that's my. It's the hill I'll die on, but I'll keep beating that drone. So, no, I totally agree. There's so much good basketball going on outside of the top 25 power five conferences. Definitely worth paying attention to. All right, to close it out, I'm going to go through some games that are coming up in the next week. They all have a bit of a mid major um, feel to them. And I'm going to pick like who we think are going to win them. So, I've got five games. Yeah, five games. Starting out with the one on Friday, so just after this comes out, but Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, South Carolina is making the road trip up to South Dakota, which should be a fun one. Yeah, I think I think the story of the game there is going to be if Hannah Shervin can stay out of foul trouble and can control the paint and hang with uh, hang with like the Aaliyah Boston kind of caliber of player for. South Carolina, like that's that's how they're gonna make it a game, and then yeah, I mean conversation down the stretch. I don't know if there's enough time for one of them to really take over as the favorite and win it, but I I don't know. I'm not. I don't have super high hopes for South Dakota to win that, obviously, but I think uh, I mean based on what we saw last year, they can make it a game. They can they can ratchet up the intensity and. If South Carolina wants to play slow and bruising, then South Dakota can do the exact same thing. So, so as long as uh, as long as uh, they can keep Shervin out of foul trouble and keep her in the game for an ex- for extended minutes, so yeah, I agree with you. I still think that South Carolina is going to win it, but I, I think it'll at least be a decent game. I think that we could see South Dakota certainly make it a game. So I think it should yep. be an interesting watch and another chance to see that South. Carolina team too against a, a high quality opponent. Yeah, definitely. And one of the one of the underrated aspects of those games is it just brings more eyes to players like Servan and Lamb that don't get to play in such high profile games for the, throughout the entire season. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously that's like the reason Missouri State is getting all the recognition that they're getting is because they've gone out and they proved it in those nationally televised games in the tournament. So it just gives, makes those games extra helpful for the kind of the cultural cachet of teams like South Dakota and South Dakota State and Missouri State. So, Yeah, agreed. It is on ESPN News, which is not maybe the most exciting place for it to be, but I still think it'll get a lot of eyes because of South Carolina. So it'll still be at least a bigger venue than usual for those players, unfortunately, not like an ESPN2 game or something like that, which always has more eyes. All right, moving to Sunday at 1.30, we've got Florida Gulf Coast at 
Kim Mulkey's LSU, which I feel like it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I think Florida Gulf Coast is going to win this, but I think the fact that, you know, it's now what Kim Mulkey coached LSU makes the game a little bit more interesting. I definitely agree. And I can say with like the most, this is the most certain I've ever felt about any prediction. Florida Gulf Coast is going to shoot way more threes than Kim Mulkey's team. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that, that's a pretty fair bet. <laughs> All right, also on Sunday, just 30 minutes afterwards, we've got a 2 p.m. Eastern tip for Belmont at Georgia Tech. I think this one's a really interesting one, too. Obviously, Belmont, team that won a tournament game last year, a really strong team, has a player on the, the watch list. And then Georgia Tech also, I feel like a little bit of an underrated team, pretty solid presence in the ACC, maybe not ranked quite as high, but... I think that's going to be a really good game. Definitely. Um, I think this is going to be my inroad to go on my soapbox about the amazing freshman last year, since you did mention Destiny Wells, who is on that Hammond Award watch list. As a freshman, as a freshman at one of the like premier mid-major schools in the country, she put up almost 18 points per game, a little bit less than four, five assists per game, and over two steals per game. Really, really impressive. Um, and then... Also on the list, that's a sophomore, uh, Lexi Fleming of Bowling Green as a freshman. She put up 16 points per game, five rebounds, two and a half assists, two and a half steals. I wrote an article a couple weeks ago about how great the freshman class was last year and like going far beyond just Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers. Like truly it was amazing to see how impressive these players were in such a weird season, especially, um, it's, it just makes that transition so much more jarring. Um, so, yeah, in terms of that game, keep an eye on Destiny Wells. Um, she can she can light it up and dish it out. Um, and obviously, almost two and a half steals per game, so she can she can wreak some havoc and gain some extra possessions for the Bruins. So, yeah. And on the flip side, too, another freshman that was great last year, Loyal McQueen for Georgia Tech, also one of the most fun names. In college basketball <laughs> but yeah I mean two really great sophomores now in that game I think I'm still going with Georgia Tech here but I in no way mean that as a diss to Belmont I just I'm pretty high on Georgia Tech this season they bring back pretty much everything from that Sweet 16 team I actually have them like finishing second in the ACC so I yeah I mean Georgia that Tech. that game's the type of game where like if one of my friends who doesn't follow the women's game too much is like, hey, which upsets should I maybe look at? Like, if I saw that matchup in round one, I'd be like, 100%, that's the yeah. one to pick. If it's going to happen, it's going to be that. So, Agreed, yeah. I think it's one to circle this weekend for sure. It's going to be a great game. Uh, so, yeah, Sunday, if you're looking for something, I mean, there's some great ranked versus ranked games and stuff on Sunday too, but I think this is going to be one of the best games on on Sunday. Definitely. All right, and then next Monday at 6.30, we get number 21, South Florida, at number 15, Tennessee. Another great game to circle. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of uh, interesting. I did, I actually didn't know that that game was coming up. Um, <laughs> yeah, that uh, – I'm interested to see. I think from what I saw the other day, um, I actually think South – Florida did struggle with their opening day opponent, but I might be misremembering that. 
So it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back and kind of play to the level of the competition at some extent. Yeah, you are right. They did. They won, but 63 to 56 over UT Rio Grande. So not an excellent win, but still win. I agree, though. It'll be interesting to see. Can they come back from that? Can they challenge Tennessee? I mean, Tennessee is just... I feel like the thing that makes Tennessee hard to contest with is they're just so big. But South Florida lineup, they do play two centers that start. So just kidding. They play one center. I can't read. <laughs> start that over. <laughs> I read the G as a C. I feel like one of the things that makes Tennessee so hard to beat is just their size. I think they still are the tallest team in college basketball. They're just such a big team. I feel like South Florida might struggle with that a little bit. They're a little bit smaller, a lot of guards, but it'll be interesting to see. I think I'd probably pick Tennessee, but it's it's going to be a good game, I think, too. Yeah, I think one player in that game definitely to watch is Bethy Manunga. In week one, she had only nine points, but she racked up 18 rebounds, two steals. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'd like to see her score a little bit more, but she's kind of been there. One of the more valuable players, even when it doesn't show up in the box score in past years. Yeah. Also, 18 rebounds is insane. That is a lot of yeah. rebounds. <laughs> yeah, that one should be interesting. And then the last one I have picked is also Monday, 7.30 p.m., South Dakota State at Iowa State. That's going to be a really fun game. Um, I think one thing that I'm kind of interested to see is in South Dakota State's first game um, – one of last year's finalists for the Hammond Award, Maya Sellen, she didn't even play. I have not seen reports about if she was injured or if she's away from the team for some reason, but um, that game will kind of hinge on whether or not she's playing. Um, I mean, the rest of the lineup is, they're, they're no slouches or anything, but to have that kind of game-changing talent um, be not available can definitely kind of I could see them challenging for second. Agreed. Iowa State did score to struggle to score, but in their opener they played Omaha and they only scored sixty five points. Um, yeah, and that was another kind of first half, second half situation. Um, I was watching that game, and I believe early in the second half the score was at one point like twenty six to eighteen, but then they really turned it on in the second half. After that, they outscored them. 40 to 20 or 40 to 25, something along those lines. So hopefully that's a sign that they kind of shook the rust off and got going in the second half. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also shout out to um, Emily Ryan of Iowa State, who is leading the nation in steals with like a whopping nine in that opening game. Um, <laughs> very rare to see people get that many steals and to go out fresh and do that on uh, week one is, I don't know, could be – Gives her a leg up to maybe challenge for the national, the national uh, title in steals per game or something like that. So, <laughs> for sure, she was one point and one steal away from a double double with steals. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I also looking at that box score. I mean, Ashley Jones had fifteen points, but she was four of sixteen from the floor. I don't think we're gonna see a whole lot of games where Ashley Jones is four of sixteen from the floor. So. Exactly. And she actually missed some time in their last exhibition game. She took a hard fall. So I wonder if she's still kind of kind of 
getting back up to speed after having to miss a good portion of that last exhibition game in the preseason. So that could have, that could affect it to some extent as well. Yeah. That I also feel like they're probably just like going to be a little bit for everyone's first game. That's like getting used to there being fans in the stand again. Like it's an entirely different environment than they played in last year. I saw somebody throw out the theory that we might see some different ref tactics or not tactics, but like tendencies until they get used to the fact that they're going to have fans screaming and yelling at them for their mistakes. They might be a little bit more, a little bit more like brazen calling technical fouls and then they'll eventually kind of get used. (laughs) Yeah. That'll be interesting to see. I wouldn't be surprised either. They've just gone through a whole season where they didn't have fans that were screaming and booing them every time they made a call. So yeah, all they all they had to worry about was the, the coaches and the benches, so they Which had is a... probably enough too. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess now they can probably hear the coaches a lot more clear, <laughs> or they probably could hear the coaches a lot clearer last year. There might be a few less technicals this year with the noise in the arena. <laughs> that's that's a very good point. There are going to be fewer under the breath technicals and a little, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, re- reactionary technicals to. Yeah. People round up the stand and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Well, that's the last game I had. So thank you, Jacob, for joining me. Yeah, definitely. Always fun to join Talkman Major. And... Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. As always, please make sure to rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us and leave reviews to help other people find us. You can check out the stats site at herhoopstats.com. We have all of our 2021-2022 NCAA stats up and running, so definitely go check that out. It's just $20 a year to subscribe. Also, make sure you're subscribed to our free newsletter on Substack to get all of our content in your inbox each day. And make sure you're following us on social media. You can find us at herhoopstats on all platforms. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) 